Good morning, everybody. Oh, thank you, Megan. It's very kind of you. I'm just soaking it, everybody in. Good to see you all. Happy, happy. A little cooler this week, huh? Some of you are like, finally. Yeah. I am so bad because, like, last night we got home from a... Hey, it was my wife's birthday this past week, so we celebrated my wife's birthday. She's now so happy with me that I said that. Uh, anyways, we got home from something last night, and it was like, I don't know, 58 degrees, and I'm like, my gosh, I'm tired of this cold already. Such a baby. I'm such a baby. I know, Laura, I'm a baby. What can I do? Hey, last week we, uh, carried, we, we uh, took some ground. We started at creation where the Holy Spirit is hovering, and then went through the whole Bible to the part where Jesus, like, breathes the Holy Spirit. So if you missed last week, you missed, like, the whole Bible. So I encourage you to pop on, maybe online, and look or listen. Buyer beware. It was a lot. And then uh, today we're going to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit in, the, in regards to transformation. Now, you can't just do two weeks on the Holy Spirit and call it good, but we're um, laying some foundation, I think, for the future and what it has for us. Let me read you what I think is a profound set of scripture from the Apostle Paul that he writes to the people of Galatia. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to be in it uh, a lot of the morning. Uh, it'll also be on the screen. He writes this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another, humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Remember, he's writing to a church. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Then he goes into what he explains it. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes in to clarify some things. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And just in case you're like, sweet, I'm not doing any of those, he follows up with, and the like. Which would kind of be like if you have a job description and it says other duties as assigned. That's the and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. We'll get that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
So those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Because brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and fill us. May you teach us. Father, we thank you for all that you do. Jesus, thanks for coming and saving us. For letting go of the things you could have held on to, took on the form of a servant. And you died on the cross and you rose again. Help us to understand what it means to live a life in tune with the Spirit today. In your name, amen. One of the observations that arises in a lot of our minds, because I hear this a lot, is that do you truly need to have the Holy Spirit to live a moral life? I would hear this a lot when I was a youth pastor talking to uh, maybe a female, a high school student, they would say, wow, I know so many non-Christian guys that behave way better than the Christian guys in the youth group. Do I have to date one of these guys in the youth group? I'm like, you don't have to date anybody. That wasn't the question, Dale. Wasn't that helpful? But I, maybe you've had observations of people as well. It's like, they're, they're not believers, they're not followers, but they live a good, they're a good person. Right? They do good things. They do right things. Of course. I don't believe that you need the Holy Spirit in your life to do good things, even to live a moral life. But you absolutely do need the Holy Spirit in your life to live a supernatural one. In other words, we don't need the Spirit in order for us to be different on the outside, but we absolutely need the Spirit to be transformed on the inside and to live a life of consistency. C.S. Lewis wrote this really famous essay talking about the three different kinds of of people. Many people kind of say, oh, there's two kinds of people. But he's like, let me pull this back a little bit. I think there's three. And there's three kinds of people he described as one, there are those who purely live for themselves. Many of you could think of somebody right now. If you can't, it might be you. <laughs> Secondly, there are those kinds of people that believe there's a moral code outside of them. Right? Ten Commandments, maybe how their parents told them to live, maybe societal pressures, like there's a right thing to do and a right thing to behave and the right thing to say. But also there's a third kind of person that C.S. Lewis identifies. He says it's those who have released and submitted to God's will. As Paul says, to live as Christ. This is not perfection but it's incredibly purposeful. And it's this third kind of person that isn't just trying to do the right things, isn't just relying on themselves, but is saying, I'm submitting to God and having him do these things for me. 
One of the things I observe is this, is that the core of authentic follower of Jesus is not simply obeying what God says, but actually enjoying God. You see, God is meant to be enjoyed, not for us to consume, but for him to be in us in such a way, we're like, man, I'm just having a great day with the Lord. Not just a good time with God, not just why I read this verse and it made me feel better. Not just my own desires, not just the things I'm trying to accomplish or the absence of bad things happening in my life. Maybe you've heard this, like, how you doing? Can't complain, better than I deserve. Those are all kinds of things that I understand what people are saying. Sometimes I meet people and they're like, oh man, God is good, isn't he? And I'm like, tell me how. They're like, I don't know, I just thought I should say that. But there's an opportunity, an actual reality for us to go, man, I am just really enjoying God in my life. You see, transforming is not just adding Jesus to your life, but it's collapsing into Jesus as your life. Because this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit puts a big old spotlight back on Jesus. He doesn't just put the spirit on and says, I'm going to point you to Jesus. Jesus is going to point you to me. We're all going to point you to the Father. And we're all going to keep this moving as much as we can. And because we have these words from Paul that I read, and it might not be obvious, but I think he talks about all three of the people that C.S. Lewis talked about. We all know this. It's a struggle, right? Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's like, man, I want to do the right things. We read this a few weeks ago, but I don't. Sometimes I'm tempted and lured and I'm I'm not perfect. Absolutely. This isn't about perfection. This is about absolute grace. This is absolutely about that our efforts and our own willpower are exhaustible resources. But the spirit is not exhaustible. When I read this passage from Paul that I read in Galatians, I make these three observations. The first one is this, the flesh and the spirit are not co-pilots. We've all seen the image of an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder, like who am I going to listen to today? That is not a reality. One of them is in charge. It's not like, huh, I'm not, one of them is in charge. It's like oil and water separate. They do not cohabitate together. They're in constant opposition. One of them is calling the shots. Secondly, I make the observation from this is that this cannot be done alone. Community is an absolute must. Helping each other with blind spots that we may have. That's the definition of a blind spot. I can't see the things that I don't see. So will you help me see the things in my life that I'm missing? Serving each other. Carrying the burdens of each other. But we cannot carry the burdens of each other if it doesn't literally start by one person saying, here's the burden in my life. Will you help me carry this? Instead, we have created this over-religious, over-zealous, like I can be strong enough and keep this to myself. And Paul is saying, no, you cannot. Are you willing just to open your hands and say, let me help you? Will you help me? The third observation I make is this one that Paul, I guess humanly, and as a pastor, would be way easier if this verse wasn't in there. 
But he makes this observation that if it's not a struggle, if living in the flesh or the spirit, there's not this battle within you, but you're just fully content to do whatever the flesh is leading you to do, it is quite possible that you don't have the spirit within you. That one's a little more intense, is it not? Look at the verse again. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The enemy wants to tell you all sorts of things like now, so let me tell you some truth. When you come to Jesus, you are justified. You are forgiven. You are seen as righteous by God. It is the most amazing transfer from the domain of darkness to the domain of light that is possible. God sees you as forgiven and and you're saved and you're protected. And just like Jesus at his baptism we talked about last week, Jesus and God says to you, I love you. I am pleased with you. You are my child. No matter what you've done, and it's not out of your own goodness, no matter how sinful you are, you're never out of God's reach. But as we've been saying often in this series, and Paul mentions it not just in Romans, but he also mentions it in Ephesians. And whenever Paul mentions something a few times, you can start to take like, I think he really means this. His incomparable great power is available for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So in this life of the spirit and life of the flesh, if you pursue sin, like you are pursuing it, and there's no guilt, there's no conviction, there's no regret, it's not that you have lost your salvation. But Paul makes this lane, you may have never been saved in the first place, which is horrifying. What I want you to hear is you've been doing this on your own, and you don't have to. Now, at the end of the day, God knows. I don't know. It is not for me to decide, like, okay, he's in you, he's not in you, he's in you. That God knows those things. And God knows who you are and your heart and he's in you or not. But there's this thing that's laid out there that we cannot ignore. That the two are incompatible. My friends, if there's nothing else you hear today, I want you to hear this. You don't need to do it on your own any longer. See, I can never lose the presence of the Spirit. But I certainly can lose the power of the Spirit. It means I can sin and sin and sin and press him back against the wall because the Spirit wants freedom. The Spirit wants a complying person. The Spirit wants to partner But I can crush him. I can quench him. I can keep him at bay. So what is this life in the spirit? What is it? What difference does it make? Jesus makes these some amazing promises about the Holy Spirit, right? In John chapter 14. He says, I'm sending you a a counselor, a comforter, a guide. The Greek word for this that he says is paraclete. What's interesting, there's a, um, a group of ships, like they're called like, tugboats in Greece, and the actual name on it is the paraclete. They come alongside to give the direction that's needed, either to pull or push or tug, to redirect. And Jesus says, I'm giving you this spirit 
And part of his role is going to pull, to direct, to push, to, to tug, to direct you in a certain way. Why? Because there's a lot of areas in the Christian life or just in life that are gray. Some of you don't like that. Like, no, it's just black and white. No, there's a lot of gray. What do I mean by gray? Sometimes people will say, Dale, I met someone. How do you know if that someone is the one? I haven't found a verse in the Bible that I can give you that guarantees you the one you met is the one. Because it's a little bit gray. Sometimes people come up to me and I got this great job offer. How do I know that this is what God wants me to do? I haven't found a verse that tells you that exactly. It doesn't say in Proverbs 4.17 that, Dale, you shall thou go to Calvary Church and do this, this. And it, just, it just doesn't. You may come to you and say, I'm really struggling with my child. It hurts. I'm frustrated by what they're doing and what they're saying. Though there's guidance in Scripture, of course, it's a bit of a gray. There's times people come up and say, why is life so hard? There isn't a verse that directly says to you exactly what you're experiencing. Though there's an amazing amount of help. I am not saying the Bible is not incredibly helpful and powerful. What I'm saying is the gift of the Spirit as a guide and a director and an empower during some of those grayish times of our life. You see, walking in the Spirit is not like an app. You know when you want to find something specific? You're going to a new restaurant, a new space. You can just pull up the Google Maps or whatever map app that you use, and it's going to tell you step-by-step step directions. Go 200 feet east. And I'm like, I don't even know which way is east. So I just watch the blue dot, and if I turn the wrong way, I go, oh, I meant to go this way. It tells you every single step to get to this spot without fail, and if it does fail, whatever. Following the Holy Spirit isn't like following an app. Walking in the Spirit, as Paul says. In Ephesians 5, it's references like to be filled with the Spirit. It is uh, the imagery of this Greek word and this Greek phrase is like a woman who is so great with child, it's just obvious that they are great with child. That the birth is imminent at any moment where you literally go, Do you have a ride? That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, with the Spirit. There's no doubt. It's kind of like when Pharaoh says to Joseph, after Joseph is doing these amazing things, the gods are in you. Really bad theology, but a great observation. It's like when Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, Daniel, your God is the God of God. Is that because all of a sudden Daniel handed him a pamphlet, a trap? No, he saw it come through his life. Here is what Paul is saying to all of us. One, when you submit, you will have victory. So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you hear that promise? When you walk by the Spirit, you will not. Why? 
because they are in conflict with each other. They cannot be together. When you do this, when you walk by the Spirit, when you are doing the things that God's asking you to do, when the Spirit is moving you, you will not do anything in the flesh. So many times we're like, I want to get right with God, so I'm going to try to wrestle down the flesh. God's like, don't wrestle down the flesh, just follow me. Right? We set goals and spiritual aspirations and say, I want to do less of this. God's like, don't worry about that. Pursue me. Follow me. Let the Spirit call the shots. Let me get super specific. Super specific. If you're in a conversation with a good friend or a spouse, or uh, if I'm in a conversation with somebody who I really love, and I say something, and it's obvious that I just offended them. Life in the Spirit simply says this. I am so sorry for what I just said. I apologize. Will you forgive me? It's not saying, well, this person is just so defensive. Well, you just misunderstood what I said. I'm just going to let you struggle with this. But the purity of life in the Spirit is like, man, I, I, I just hurt you. The flesh is telling me, make all these reasons and excuses why you just did that. But the Spirit just says, just say you're sorry. That's not what you intended to do. You see, because we have this sinful nature in us, and we will have this sinful nature in us until we are in heaven, Jesus has simply added the Spirit to our sinful nature. But it's not meant to direct you, the sinful nature. Because you know what the sinful nature wants for you? It wants to destroy you. It wants to eat you alive. I know that to be true because the second thing that Paul says is, of the 15 things that Paul mentions, you know, the debauchery and witchcraft and envy and jealousy, of those 15 things that he lays out, eight of them are relational. He's like, here's, of the 15, here are eight things of the flesh that would destroy your relationships. Do you still want to mess around with this stuff? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfless ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. But life in the spirit is relationally whole. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. You see, the flesh erodes relationships. Because the flesh is me, me, me. Hmm. I'm always moved by this. Scripture doesn't tell us here that the fruits, there's not an S. That the fruits of the Spirit are these things. He's not like, hey, pick one. Right? He's not saying, huh, for some of you, patience. For some of you, joy. Okay, you're not very good. But the fruit, these are the things that the Spirit develops in a person. Can you imagine eating a fruit that's a combination of all the fruits? Now, some of you are like, oh, that's like a, a confusion of taste. I'm just saying, like, this is the ultimate. It's just all of it. That's what the Spirit develops. Evidence of the Spirit is fruit. What I have seen to be true is that an apple tree does not have to wrestle with growing apples. It just grows apples. If it doesn't, it's probably because of something I've done, like not water it. But an apple tree doesn't go, oh my gosh, I'm trying not to grow an orange. 
I got to really focus and really develop an apple because I know my, my, my landowner, Dale, wants an apple, so I have to work extra. No, it just grows apples. Now, it depends on what I do with it afterwards. The benefit of the apple tree is 100% not for itself. The apple tree doesn't go, look at me, look at all the, it's just for the benefit of others. When I yield to the Spirit, who benefits? Others benefit from my life. When you yield to the Spirit, who benefits? Others. Hopefully me. Some of you so desperately want to make a difference in this world. You are passionate when saying, I want to make a difference. I want this world to be different because of who I am. And some of your dreams are huge. Some of your dreams aren't as big. But you say you want to make a difference. You want your life to matter. Let me challenge you with something. You have to flip the phrase, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want to consume. You have to flip it. To say, how will others benefit from the fruit the Spirit is developing in me? Yield to the Spirit because people are starving for fruit in your life. In our current day of being a church or being churches from afar or this individualistic Christianity, like a tree with fruit that just falls and rots to the ground is no benefit. Either is the believer who just develops fruit and it just falls to the ground. Think less about how you strategize greatness. Think more about what is the Spirit doing in me so that I can feed those around me. And finally, and one I would say is such a clear mark of the presence of the Spirit in your life, if you're wondering, how do I really know the Spirit is alive? Listen to this one Paul says. People who are walking in the Spirit restore those who fall. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If you're like, is the Spirit alive in me? Is the Spirit present in me? What is your opinion of those when they mess up? Is it like, well, they're just going to get what they deserve? Or does your heart like, I want to restore them gently. I'm not talking about predators. I'm not talking about those who are maliciously hurting and killing people. That's not the, for the benefit. I'm talking about those who have got caught up and they're overwhelmed by the flesh. Maybe those who are caught up in gossip and slander and anger and lying and it just leads them down some dark, bitter areas. Maybe those who are flipping through social media. And the juices start to flow and they start to live, give in to the sexual desires of the flesh. Maybe connecting with someone from the past. I mean, those who have some strong addictive behaviors, they're just struggling over and over and over. What is your response to them? What is our church's response to them? I've heard there's this thing in fishing that's called catch and release. I, it, I say it, I heard there's this thing because I have a hard enough time catching and I actually don't actually get to release. But the idea is this, is that you catch a fish and maybe you don't have a, a, a sharp barb on the hook, but maybe you do, but you gently, it's like the sport of fishing. You're like, oh, that was so fun to catch the fish. Go back, which still is mind-blowing to me. But 
The idea is this, is you catch a fish, you use the sport of catching it, and then you gently take the hook out of it, and you release it back into the environment where it came from so it could live. That's the idea of restoring people gently. It's not overlooking the sin in people's lives. It's simply saying, brother, sister, I love you. I truly believe like that is one of the most tangible marks of whether you're like, is the spirit really in me or not? What is your response to those people who sin? Is it judgment or is it my heart is to restore you, to bring you back, to love you, to show you Jesus and let you go again? As I close, just for a few minutes here, let me pull back a bit and take a little bit of a wider view of the actions of the Spirit. Though Paul focuses on the communal reality of walking in the Spirit, like we talked about, he also writes this to quite a few churches. Let me just read it to you. Now to each one of the manifestation, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, for the community. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the Spirits, to another speaking in a different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of these tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though, one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Some of you are like, wow, you just dropped that in at the end? Yes, continue reading for your own pleasure. If living in the Spirit is communal and for the benefit of our community, I found myself asking, who's our church community? Who are the believers around this? Who are those who would say, this is my church? This is how I'm viewing the Spirit. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about this within our Triangle of Transformation around there's a significant piece of community and there's a significant piece of the Holy Spirit. And over the past many years, and some of this even within this past year, even some of this within the past three weeks, these are the things that people have said to me that are a part of our church, or at least were a part of our church in some situations, about the Holy Spirit. And why am I going to read these? I just think we need to be truth-tellers. You may fall in one of these categories. There are those who believe that some of these gifts from the Spirit have ceased. They were just for a period of time, proving the Spirit had arrived after Jesus ascended. I know this because people have told me this directly. There are those who want things of the Spirit to just be kept within the pages of the Bible... Sometimes because of deep hurt they've received from others because of this. I've heard that directly as well. There are those who want the Spirit to just stay inside of us. It's just a personal thing. It's not a communal thing. I've also said this because this is what I've been told. There are those who have visions, dreams, words from God. Sometimes these visions, dreams, and words are specifically for me. How do I know this? Because they've come up to me and said, I had a dream, a vision, or words from God directly for you. And I'm like, be gentle. 
I know this because people have said this to me. There are those here in our church who through the Spirit are incredibly active in the supernatural world. The reality of angels and demons and strongholds. I know this to be true because you have come up and told me. There are those here who have a distinct prayer language. People sitting amongst you that they describe as a gift and presence of the Spirit in tongues. I know this because there are people who in our church who come over at me and prayed in that language over me. There are those who have left here because they have told me the Holy Spirit is not here. So they leave. You're like, wait, what? What's going on here? I say these things because we all have more to do together. We have more teaching, discovering, praying, transforming individually and communally. As soon as we think that we have arrived, we probably have actually just died. Because the Spirit is alive. As we rebuild and renew, and this is impossible on our own, it is the Holy Spirit that transforms. We've been using this guide in our series, if you probably remember this of truth and the Holy Spirit and practices, which we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. What are some rhythms of life and practices that we can do to experience God's work in our life and community? The truth is they all work together. The engine of the Spirit pulls these things together. We're never going to enter into real unity of the Spirit just on our own. As we continue to move forward, my family, my friends, and I know some of you are like, you're speaking on the Holy Spirit that makes me really nervous. And I'm like, it's probably an indicator of something. My encouragement as your pastor is this, to listen to each other. To always hold on to the truth of Scripture through the power of the Spirit. And take a posture of curiosity. Because this is the beginning of vulnerability. To take a posture of curiosity doesn't mean to instantly believe with the person. You're just valuing the person. You're like, I want to learn what you have. I want to hear what God's been doing in your life. What, what you're experiencing is different than what I'm experiencing. I, I want to hear more. To pray for each other and with each other. And to gently restore reconcile and release each other back into the health. If you were to ask me which one of these do you want as your church? That's like saying which one small piece of food do you want from the most amazing buffet you ever went to, Dale? Right? Of course I want all of them. But if we can be known as a place that at the very least, when people sin, we love them. We care for them as the Spirit cares for them. Not simply saying, good luck to you and you're on your own and your sin is okay, but simply saying, let me gently restore you and reconcile you and bring you back to who God wants you to be. Let's just pause for a moment. Father, there is so much, there's so much, and my temptation is to try to convince people of things, but I cannot.
So I'm counting on you. And the Holy Spirit, I'm just counting on you to do what you want to do. The enemy brings condemnation and shame. You bring redirection and conviction and life. I pray that we are no longer trying to co-pilot a life in the spirit with a life in the flesh. We simply would say, okay, what is love? What is joyful? What is peaceful? What is patient? And let our minds dwell on these things. And when we fall short with each other, may we restore each other with love and truth and respect, giving each other back to who God wants us to be. There's a prayer that I pray often, and we printed it out for you. And I just wanted to pray it out loud, and if you want to join me, pray this out loud. I just, I, I just didn't want to lead you through a prayer that you hadn't read. <laughs> It just seems disingenuous to me. Just like, hey, repeat this, because that doesn't mean anything. If, if you want to pray this out loud, pray this out loud with me. If you're like, I just want to pray it quietly, then pray it quietly. But it's a prayer to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start. Holy Spirit, you are God. I praise you because you are holy, and I thank you for dwelling within me. Thank you for transforming my life. You guided me into salvation, renewed my dead spirit, and you opened my eyes to the truth. Help me to see you more clearly, to recognize your movement in my life. Make me more sensitive to you so I can follow you more closely. I know that I am selfish and rebellious. I need your help. You know my pain and anxieties very well. I ask you for your help and comfort. Help me to rest in you today. Help me to walk with you today. Grow good fruit in my life. For you are the one who produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I cannot live these things on my own. I need you. Amen.